In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' recent three-game losing streak, the decision not to rest Joel Embiid during this back-to-back, getting Shake Milton back on track, and what changes the Sixers need to make for their rematch against the Bucks. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. So the Sixers are a little less okay, having lost three in a row, three shorthanded games in a row, uh, but they are now tied with the Brooklyn Nets, which again, because they have the tiebreaker, they are effectively a game up, but maybe more concerning, or at least more of a change in the status quo, is they're now only 2.5 games up on the Milwaukee Bucks with one very important game on Saturday to play, a game they are likely without, not officially without, but likely without Ben Simmons, who has missed the past three games with an illness, a non-COVID-related illness. So I guess we'll just take sort of like a step back, because each of these games that they have lost here recently, you know, you had... The one against Milwaukee, which turned out to be a seven-point loss, wasn't anywhere near that. They got their doors blown off. You had then two pretty good games against pretty healthy teams in the Golden State Warriors, which are not a good team, but who have Seth Curry. uh, I've been doing that more lately. Who has Steph Curry, uh, who is just on another planet right now, and the Phoenix Suns, who are a really good team and um, and are, are playing really good basketball. I think they've won like 14 of the last 16 or something of that. So two pretty defensible losses, and then the Bucks game, which was an indefensible effort, but we will probably defend it when we get into the details of it. So let's just take a step back. What is your sort of primary concern with the team right now? Is it how they're playing? Is it health? Is it the one seed? Like, where's your mind focused at right now? I would say my mind is completely focused on the latter two things, the the health and the the one seed. To have a three-game losing streak, it's not good. I'm not trying to uh, to say that uh, this has been an encouraging week. But there have been a lot of mitigating circumstances yeah. involved in these games. And, you know, it's just, honestly, watching that Bucks game last night, that game sucked. Yep. That game, to schedule the Bucks with, what, two days rest playing at home against the Sixers after having to play the freaking Suns the night before. And by the way, the Suns had to play the Celtics, and they lost too in like a whimper type fashion. I mean, that's just the NBA season in a nutshell, where we're playing, we're already playing too many games in too short a period of time, and now we're playing even more games in yeah. a shorter period of time. It just sucks. And the Sixers, they had no legs last night. They had a, like you said, n- not a good effort. Maybe their worst defensive game of the year. Like their starters got. Absolutely trucked. The first quarter was, I've never seen anything like that from this team. 13 of 14, I think the Bucks were to start yeah. the game. And by the way, when they finally missed another one, it was a wide open Drew Holiday three. So it wasn't like, and these shots were all wide open. I think, um, I think it was when, I think it was a, a, the Connaughton dunk where he just <laughs> strolled down the lane and look, they were playing bad, but like they were down probably 15 or 20 points at that point. But that was the point where I just said, well, this isn't happening. There's no way. They don't have the energy. They don't have the focus. This is not happening. Danny Green, I thought, was a good uh, 
you know, look at what the entire team is because he was just running in quicksand the entire night, like having to guard Chris Middleton after chasing Chris Paul. Not a, not Danny's best two nights defensively. No. It's not a look. I'm not not too worried about him, but I think this is just a uh, a tired team and beat up team. But so the two things I would say that I'm worried about more for the you know moving forward are one they need to get healthy at some point. Like that that needs to be the case like Tobias's knee that's interesting Ben with this pretty long illness like what's going on with that he yeah needs Tobias to get back. Who, who who had the um um oh what am I the, the bone bruise in the right knee about a month and a half ago now a little over a month and a half ago and is still uh missing games because of soreness in it as related to that bone bruise yeah that's certainly concerning you know your season is screwed up when Tobias Harris is dealing with nagging injuries too. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a picture of consistency in that regard. Yep. So th- that's one thing. The other thing is just okay. I'm not too worried about how they lost those games in in a lot of ways. Like we said, two defensible losses and another one that, frankly, is defensible because of the schedule. What you're worried about is okay. You lost three games and the one seed is now very much in doubt again. And you have this game against Milwaukee on Saturday that is now really interesting. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, and look, there's, um, like you said, three losses given the circumstances. And look, some people say, oh, well, back-to-back shouldn't be an excuse. Okay, well, like, here's how I'll compare it. Like, go run to your limit. Like, whatever your limit is, if you can maximum run two miles hard or five miles hard, whatever your limit is, run that hard. And then the next day, try to beat your time. You're probably not going to do it. No matter how much effort you give, no matter how focused you are, you're just not going to have the legs to beat that previous time if you gave it your all on both days. And the Sixers, I don't think they came out with great focus. And mental fatigue is a thing, too. Uh, I don't think they came out with great focus. But even if they did, when you have one team that has two nights off, and, and by the way, with your, your our little running analogy, also fly the night before fly almost across country the night before you're not beating your time. But when you have a team in Milwaukee who is at home two days straight off and can come into that healthy too, by the way, and you like, you are going to have a lesser impact. And maybe if Milwaukee has an off night and maybe some of your shots go in, maybe you can (laughs) overcome that. Well, the opposite, all of Milwaukee's (laughs) shots come in and look, in that first quarter, their defense was atrocious, like just absolutely atrocious. That being said, we've covered this league long enough. Open shots are sometimes missed. But when you saw the other end of that spectrum where they got open shots because the Sixers defense was atrocious and also they made everything they threw up and it just looked real bad. And I do think it is somewhat defensible. Uh, you know, I think that was going to be a tough spot for them to win. Not impossible, but pretty tough. You know, but I here's sort of like my takeaway from that. So Doc Rivers came out and he said, OK, well, we looked at that and we thought that was going to be a schedule loss. We would have had to pull off basically a Herculean feat to win that game. And then he came out and he said, well, yeah, we, we like Joel defending Giannis, but we, you know, coming in a back-to-back, we didn't want to kill him. Well, then yeah. rest Embiid. And look, rest I, him. I, yeah. I, I get if, if you don't feel like you're going to win the game anyway, because Ben's not there and you're on a back-to-back and the schedule reasons, and you don't think Embiid has enough in him to defend Giannis the way you otherwise would, give him a night off. Perfect night off. You have him ready to go uh, for Saturday for the rematch. You didn't really accomplish much by playing him. Now, look, I get it can be tough because... Joel has a say in that decision too. Definitely wants the one seed. You probably wanted to play. He wants the MVP award. 
there's a lot of factors into that. But just from a pure, should you all have been playing that game, I think it probably would have been better if he would have had that night off. Well, he talked about it after the Phoenix game, that there was discussion that he wouldn't play in that one. And yeah, I mean, it does feel like a major missed opportunity when you lose both ends of a back-to-back and you play Embiid in both of those games. It's like, eh, maybe you should have sat him for one of those. And, uh, you know, watching Embiid over these past few games, too, I mean, this, this season has been the dream season for him. It's been a joy to watch him play. These last three or four games, yeah. eh, I'm not having quite as much fun watching him. It's look, I mean, I, I looked he, at his true shooting percentage over the past five games, and this it's still like 59% because of all the free throws. So it, it, this isn't to say he's an inefficient player for uh, for the average player or the average volume scorer who's who's putting up 30 points per game. It's a lot of points, but it's a lot of shots, and he's working really hard for those uh, for those points and not maybe waltzing to the foul line in the same way that we have seen throughout the year. So it's, it hasn't been as much fun watching him either. I'll just say it. Uh, you know, he had some good moments against Brooke Lopez in the, uh, in the second quarter, you know, operating on the left block, but you know, it was felt like they were losing the math battle. And I totally agree with you on, okay, we're going to play Joel, but we're, going to play a strategy that pretty much guarantees we lose the game anyway. <laughs> right. I mean, what what are we doing? Also, I don't yeah, m- maybe it's a little bit physical the the drives from Giannis getting the rim. If Giannis is not making his shots, it's certainly less running guarding. <laughs> yeah. Him. Well, cuz okay, yeah, you have to you have to like do these quick cuts around the paint, but what if I have to watch Joel like make a decision between protecting the rim or guard Lopez 30 feet from the rim? I don't know. That looks pretty tiring to me. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah and that, and that was the thing like he, he the lopez being able to shoot and it wasn't like the same like you know going back to that boston series a few years ago where they would put Horford in a high pick and roll and have Embiid make decisions on it. It wasn't that. It was that Embiid was so uh, aggressive in helping off of Lopez in the corner because, in part, the Sixers were just a train wreck defensively and couldn't defend their man. 
but he was helping a lot into the paint to try to um, alter some shots and then also scramble back to the perimeter to contest Lopez. Yeah, I'm not sure it even really conserved that. And look, I get the general belief of, you know, you're going to waste a lot of energy defending the other team's star player. And more or less, I agree. But that one where Embiid's sort of like yo-yoing back and forth between the paint and the corner and the paint and the corner, I'm not sure it was all that much. Um, I, don't, I, I agree with you. I don't th- I'm not sure you saved all that much. I mean, him guarding Lopez is a tough matchup regardless. I mean, you just kind of have to hope Lopez isn't making his shots because he is the the center that has the bulk to guard Embiid, but also legitimately shoot 30-footers. And, yeah. you know, like, look, he's like a 34% shooter. I think last season he was pretty bad, honestly, for, for most of the year. That I, I don't think he'll ever be a high 30s guy anymore. I think he had that one season where he went crazy, but... If uh, if Embiid is guarding him, it it presents some problems for the uh, for the Sixers. But again, like I think, like Doc said it afterwards in a playoff series, we're not going to guard the Bucks like that. And I I that's good that he understands that. It's a little weird that he didn't employ it in the game. But in terms of taking like any long term thoughts from from that game, I really I struggle to do it honestly. The Sixers. They got lucky with the Nets because Durant didn't play all year. Um, they got screwed with yeah. the Bucks. This is their second game on a back-to-back against Milwaukee. The, the other one, they had a home back-to-back, fine, but Milwaukee had more rest. And the Sixers played the Knicks the night before. It yeah. was, you know, they like, I don't know. It's uh, the the Bucks have gotten the better of the uh, the scheduling for sure yeah, with for sure. Uh, with the Sixers matchup. But back to your point, it does seem like Joel. Besides just the back-to-back, like he just looks a little more tired than he. I think the uh, combination of the, you know, the Nets and the Clippers games where they were asking him to do a lot defensively on the perimeter, combine that with the condensed schedule, it would have been nice to, uh, nice to get him a night off here. Uh, I get that that is tough to do that and still get the one seed. Uh, I get that it's tough to miss many more games and still get the MVP. But I think, I think, quite frankly, from a one he's, seed, he's not getting the MVP. I, well, I, we gotta I, stop that. I don't think he is either, but I think that's very much in his mind. And, and Somebody's got to sit him down and say, "You're not getting the MVP." Just, just sit him down. Sorry, bud. It's, it's not well, happening. Look, Doc might be the best players coach in the world. I'm not sure you're gonna ha- win that conversation right now. And quite frankly, I do think he's in the final three. Um, with which right now, I think Steph has moved his way into that that grouping of three. Uh, you look at that team. That team doesn't win. I don't know if they win 15 games without him uh, in a season he's having. Um, and nobody, I don't think he'll ever get it for having a 500 team. But if you're talking about importance to a team, there are a few people more important than Steph. I think Embiid, uh, we don't need to get into an Embiid uh, debate. I think he's in the, certainly in the per game MVP, but I don't <laughs> but that's think that's not I the award. I, well, I, and, and regardless of whether he deserves it or not, Jokic is having an MVP caliber season. I think, I think voters are going to vote that way. Uh, but moving back to the original point, if your goal is to get the one seed, I think sitting Embiid last night would have helped you accomplish that goal because your chances of winning that game were like 5% maybe. uh, And your benefit of having a rested Embiid for Saturday and for the stretch run would be much more. I mean, I think either one of the games would have been fine for him to sit. I mean, and we, we were mostly talking about the Milwaukee game because it's fresh in our mind. You know, like you said, Warriors aren't very good, but Steph is playing out of his mind right now, and the Sixers did not uh, escape the brunt of the uh, <laughs> of the Steph Hurricane that uh, 
that he just rained down all those threes on him. I, uh, I mean, they, they were minus three starters in both of those games. That's, yeah. Those are really hard games to win. And you could tell, like, I think even if they would have had Tobias Harris in one of those games, they probably would have won just because Shake Milton was playing so terribly in those games and their bench was just, it was just limited. Uh, it was good to get Tobias back, you know, even though he was a little bit rusty. Um, but yeah, like either one of those games, like what, if you want to say, Hey, Phoenix, we, we only have three starters. Let's try and beat the Bucks twice and, and see what happens. That would have been fine too. But yeah, to play them on both ends of the back to back, I know that you, uh, you did some old school load management because you were the team that was getting blown out <laughs> yeah. in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. But, uh, it, it does feel like a, uh, a missed opportunity. I guess the the one benefit from the Phoenix game is that that shot was the coolest thing I've ever seen that, in my life. That was incredible. I was I was almost like we had it. So we have we have post game zooms, obviously. And I'm sitting here at my computer watching a game, and I almost missed the start of the zoom because like I was just sitting there rewatching it like slack jaw. Like I it was it was it was for him to have the I guess first the, just the awareness of what he had time to do, and then to be able to get it that far with what was really just a flick of the wrist and the elbow. Like there was no real wind up there. Cause he didn't really have time. Like he almost not a catapult, but it was, it was, it was crazy just to have the strength to get the ball that far. Uh, he flicked that. Like I flick a tennis ball, which I guess size comparison, it might be pretty close, but, um, and then for it to go down and out like that, like just looking at Devin Booker's face as he's watching that, like you could see him going like, Oh fuck. Like that, that has a chance. Um, that was, that was an incredible moment for sure. He's got to work on his touch from 80 feet though. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was, that was fun. That was fun. And I'm not sure I wanted five more minutes of that game anyway, but I certainly wanted to see that shot go in. No, that was a game that while it was close, look, Phoenix had all their guys and, yep. uh, you know, Chris Paul was, was masterful. I thought, uh, Thibel's defense on Booker for most of the game was pretty special. Yep. But he got think, loose at the end Booker and he made like some shots. Three, th- Three of eleven against Matisse. Now one of the one of the one of the three was really important and really impressive, uh, but Matisse's defense was great on him. Yeah, he had and two. Sort of like the he thing, had two on but, him at the end. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm talking about the one that pretty much iced the game. Oof, uh, that, that fade away. Um, he did a lot of running on that one. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> that was a nice. You know, shot. And I think that's that's one thing. Like Matisse, he came in, and look, is his ball handling maybe marginally better, a fraction better, maybe. Like, I don't wince every time he takes two dribbles anymore, which is important. His shot has gone in a little more consistently here of late. I don't really trust it. We've gone through his streakiness from his rookie season in the past. Uh, I, I certainly think there is a chance you see another cold spell coming from Matisse. But really, his biggest area of improvement right now is the, the side of the court where he was already dynamic on. And I think he's become a better man-to-man defender. His his teams haven't really figured out how to take away his off ball stuff that he does. That block he had in the corner, like Devin Booker did not see that coming at all. Like he was completely stunned that Matisse even got to that. Those are the kind of things that like legitimately he is the only one in the NBA doing. Um, I think Doc Rivers compared his closing speed to Deion Sanders, which and going back to that, like Dion would bait quarterbacks into making a throw because he had the closing speed to recover and make a pick six. Matisse does sort of have a little bit. He can, he can, he can um, bait people into thinking they have an open shot, either from a rear contest or even just from straight up closing speed. 
it is it is fun to watch. I love watching that guy play defense. And it was the second time in five days that he had the the corner block Sprint. three because he he got one on Kennard on the Clippers a, a few days yeah. before. His uh his Matisse's he makes good uh good still photography for sure to see him. Uh, <laughs> yes, he does. To see him jumping out like that, yeah, he's uh, it, it's funny too. Like even in the in the Bucks game, he guards enough really good players now that when he gets switched on to even like a decent player, just not a a star level player, like Divincenzo ran a pick and roll against him last night, and I was I was watching thinking like, oh my god, he's gonna steal the ball from him, and he did. He just reached around and got the steal, and he, and I was thinking like, Divincenzo, pretty good player. It's very important to the Bucks title hopes. He's uh you can't be that loose with the ball around Matisse, man. Like you no. uh and when I mean you can't be that loose, you can't be normal with the ball around yeah. Matisse. And it's not to say that like DiVincenzo was leaving it out there trying to get it stolen. No, he was just dribbling without the the highest urgency you should have, which is to move the ball away from Matisse. It's uh that was great defense. He also scored what zero points in that game while Yeah, uh, yeah. While standing at like the foul line, spacing for Joel, and we talk about Joel's inefficient scoring. I, I think, especially in that Suns game, they were sending extra bodies at him, and and one of those bodies was uh, the person who was uh, who was guarding with these. Yeah, yeah, uh, an underrated defensive team in the Suns. They are they're very good. They were and, and look at yeah, that was a very impressive performance. I thought, like honestly, for the Sixers to even hang around and be close enough to see the Embiid bomb yeah. go in and out was a little bit fluky, but f- fairly gritty performance because the Suns were playing great defense the entire game. And they're, they're a team. Look, we all, when, when, when you add Chris Paul to your team, you think they are going to get better. Uh, but the level they have reached very quickly is a, uh, it's really impressive. That is, is one, of, one of my favorite teams to watch in the league right now. Um, which you never quite know. Chris, Chris Paul has a uh, unique personality uh, and and temperament. Uh, you never quite know how he's going to fit with a young crew who, quite frankly, a year ago you didn't think was ready to compete. And all of a sudden they have, what, the second best record in the West? Uh, they might have the second best record in the NBA, I believe. Because I think they're, they have a better record than the Sixers, right? Um, yeah. So very, very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, all right. So let's let's move ahead. You know, Doc Rivers was a little cagey in whether or not Ben Simmons had even made the trip out to Milwaukee. He says he doesn't talk about stuff like that, even though he was asked that question 24 hours before and he said he didn't know, which <laughs> is talking about it. It's not being direct about it, but it's at least talking about it. Um, that very much read to me that um, Ben Simmons did not make the trip. And then Keith Pompey, maybe a half an hour later, reported that sources said Ben Simmons did not make the trip. But then after the game, Doc Rivers was asked, hey, is Ben Simmons playing in the second game in Milwaukee? And he said it's 50-50 or a little less than 50-50. So my read is you're not going to have Ben Simmons in that second game in Milwaukee. Um, I don't know the details of the illness he is fighting through. Hopefully it is not something that impacts him too long. But how, how if you're looking at that game, that second game in Milwaukee, how can they better compete against that Buck squad? Well, Milwaukee miss, missing a few shots would be nice to start. Help. But yeah, I think you. the first thing would be, like we said, have Joel on Giannis the entire game. It's it's a very easy matchup. Like, just, just put Tobias on 
Brooke Lopez. And yeah, Brooke Lopez might take Tobias into the low block, but guess what? We'll take that. Uh, in terms that, of their- that's something that that Doc has done at various points throughout the year, like he has put Tobias on bigger scores. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Milwaukee played a pretty vanilla style of their defense. That was the other thing from that game. I don't think Milwaukee was trying all that hard either. Like the Sixers just didn't have the legs for them to uh, to compete. And I think pretty early Milwaukee realized, like, you know, for a team that's experimented with switching a lot this year, that felt like the old Bucks teams where Brooke Lopez yeah. is hanging out by the rim and they're they're doing everything to get over screens and Embiid the uh the trail threes are available to him at all times. Um so yeah, just just finding a way to to beat that uh that coverage more. Honestly, you know what I would like to see? You know, the the, the natural thing for Embiid, and he did it I think twice and he got fouled at least on one of them. Is uh, you know, the natural thing for Embiid with Lopez hanging out by the rim is to pop to the uh, yeah. to the three point line. I'd like to see him roll a little bit. Like, you know, if they're gonna chase over that screen with Tobias Harris, and you have Tobias like Brook Lopez, very good rim protector. But if you have Tobias Harris and Embiid, basically with the two on one at the rim against Brook Lopez, I would like to see Brook Lopez stay out of foul trouble. I don't yeah. think he can do it if Joel does it. And, I mean, you saw enough. you saw Joel take him on drives a couple times, or he just powered right through him. And Brook Lopez is not a small human being, but Joel can power through him. You give him a head of steam, he is either going to get fouled or have a good chance to finish at the rim. Uh, and, and this has sort of always been the you know is Joel Embiid just not a great pick and roll player? Have you never really had any great pick and roll guards? You still don't really have a great pick and roll guard. But I, sir, I I agree with you there. Like make make Brook Lopez defend in space a little bit for sure. So that's one thing. I think uh, if if Bobby Portis is going to be their backup big man, you know they they talked about maybe putting Dwight on PJ Tucker and uh, and moving who was it Mike Scott I guess over too. Jeez, um, <laughs> moving. problems are both pretty good shooters. They're, they're both pretty good shooters. Well, Tucker was at least. The the difference is that Tucker is like reluctant and stationary to the point that his feet are, have to be basically stapled into the floor for him to uh, to shoot. So maybe it's it's an easier thing for Dwight. I will say like that'll be a tricky matchup come playoff time. You know, D- Dwight chasing three point shooters, and this you know it's not even the stretch five complaints that we were talking about. It's not completely that because Dwight th- that is more of an offensive question you know does he fit with Ben but I I will say like when you have two traditional centers like Embiid and Dwight who like to hang around the rim a team that can stretch you out you know with five players is uh that's that's a dicey proposition for the Sixers and the Sixers can get away with it if Giannis isn't making threes because they have the hack of okay Joel can guard him one-on-one and he can do it without that much help either but uh yeah, I mean, they they need to do something with that because Bobby Portis made a million threes in that game too, as uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, it, it'll be. Joel's had such an interesting three game stretch because he had the, you know, the one game where he had eight assists, and then the next game against Suns where he had eight turnovers, and and then the Milwaukee game uh, where they defend straight up for the most part. Yeah, for the most, but I like they have sort of like a, a big guy who can get away with that a little bit at least. Yep. Um, he's been he's been up and down 
uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react in that second one. Let's move on to um, Shake Milton, who sort of got off the schneid there a little bit with, uh, what, 20 points? Made some perimeter shots, but had a real tough stretch, real tough stretch before that. You know, I think one of the things that, that we've talked about, and I've certainly talked about and written about, is how can he fit in next to George Hill? Well, he hasn't really been playing next to George Hill because one of those two had been elevated in the starting lineup each of these last two games. And I went back at it uh, and looked at it and over the last two games uh, and what George Hill has played three or four, I forget. But over the last two games, Shake Milton has played 50 minutes. 42 of them have been without George Hill on the court. So we really haven't seen him play sort of like that off-ball role that um, maybe can get him back into a comfort zone. But I guess what little bit have you seen like, what have you seen from Shake overall? Uh, if you've seen anything from the pairing of Shake and George Hill, and what are you looking for going forward to get him back on track? Because I do think that is important for the Sixers. To, to me, it's pretty simple. You mentioned the, the minute split. He's overtaxed. He is the lead ball handler on the second unit. He is the guy that, you know, let's say they run even something for Maxi, but it goes nowhere. And the Sixers have... Right multiple players on that second unit where they run a play for that guy and it goes nowhere. Sometimes they run it for Cork and he goes, it goes nowhere. Who gets the ball with eight seconds left on the shot clock? The answer is usually shake. And he's not playing well enough to have a play run for him at the beginning of the shot clock right now and pass it away. So, you know, when he is your kind of fail safe option, which is why they really missed Tobias the last couple of nights, you're going to struggle because he's not playing that well. I, I will say this is different than, most of Shake's struggles, like he, uh, he certainly has had his off nights where he's not making shots, and and Doc gives him the uh, the quick hook. I thought his game against Phoenix was one of the worst games I've seen played yeah. in a while. He was completely lost. He just was making the wrong decision whether to drive, whether to pass. His touch had betrayed him, and that's look, that's part of his season too. Um, they, uh, I, I think the key for him. I have seen enough of him running the second unit, being the the main ball handler. So to me, I think the answer is more of him and George Hill. That is how you're going to untrack him. Because, you know, it's been good to see George Hill, certainly rusty at the start, but I think he's shown some stuff. Like, he's not 100% of the way there, but we've seen enough flashes. Okay, you can still get to the rim. He's, by the way, George Hill, this shows up in his stats. He's a little reluctant to pull those threes off the off the dribble. Like it feels like he has a lot of opportunities to do that. And for a good shooter, he's he's a little bit of a reluctant guy. Which, but you know what? Like, hey, the Sixers have Seth Curry, so it's it's all right. Like we're uh, we're just trying to get as many of those players as possible, I guess. Here, <laughs> um, but to me, yeah, it, it's, that's why that's why Furkan can be a breath of fresh air sometimes. Sure, let it fly. Um, yep. You know, th- there's a lot of people who are wondering now. Is Shake's position in the playoff rotation is it, is it safe? And I, I guess my my thinking on that is let's see him play with George Hill first. You know, if he if he continues to play this poorly until the end of the season, then yeah, I, I think he'll uh, he'll lose a quiet tournament that we didn't even know was going on. But uh, super quiet tournament, yeah. yeah. But but I don't know. I, I still think Doc and, and the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him and just frankly thinks he's our best chance as our like third, fourth guard or whatever behind George Hill. Whatever whatever number guard you put behind George Hill, probably the last spot in the uh 
in the rotation. I still think he has the inside track on that because Tyrese Maxey is a rookie and Cork is Cork. But he needs to start playing better. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, it is, um, you know, when we went back to the bubble and he was sort of made the quote unquote point guard by Brett Brown, he was a point guard, but he was playing alongside Ben Simmons and he was playing alongside Tobias Harris. He had other perimeter scoring options available to him. Uh, and not only his perimeter scoring, but like decision-making, you can run through your offense through Ben at the elbow. You had other options. You didn't have to rely on him so much. It was just, Hey, that's a really good fit skill set wise in terms of you can shoot off the dribble and you can put Ben in a, you know, roll man sort of role. Maybe he is the, this is the right situation for him to be elevated to a role that he otherwise normally wouldn't be. You wouldn't look at him as a traditional lead guard. And then he came in this year and it was like, okay, well take this collection of slop in the second unit and try to make it competitive. And it's like, yeah, it's a little bit too much. And then even he got a start against Phoenix and it was still a little too much because you were missing, you know, three starters. Um, if you ask him to be a traditional point guard and make those decisions and make those reads and be that kind of score, I think it is, and I, he seems frustrated at times. And I think, you know, we, we pointed out his, um, complaining to the refs and I don't really have a problem with complaining to the refs. I think it does sort of show that when he gets frustrated though, like he can get rattled a little bit. I think it's sort of an extension of that. And some of the decision-making that he makes with the ball in his hands, when he starts getting rattled or frustrated or things aren't going his way, it's been really tough to watch at times. And this struggle, this recent struggle here, um, I don't even care about the shooting numbers. And the shooting numbers aren't good. Like coming into, I have it right here somewhere. Coming into the game against Phoenix, um, he was shooting 39% from the, or against uh, Milwaukee, he was shooting 39% from the field overall. Actually making some threes over that stretch, but he wasn't shooting well overall. Uh, but it's the decision-making. It's the turnovers. It's the bad shots. It's the passes that aren't even close. It is the drives that shouldn't have been attempted. He looks a little bit rattled. And I do think, you know, I've seen some people comment, well, they got George Hill and it hasn't fixed it. Well, but he hasn't really played alongside George Hill. He's still been playing largely as a lead guard, either in that starting role with Phoenix or leading the bench unit against Milwaukee. I do want to see how he responds when he has a little less asked of him, because right now it hasn't been working. And the numbers for the season are more or less fine. But the decision-making, I just, I don't trust him right now. Um, and he needs to simplify his game a little bit, for sure. And Cork is playing well enough that, you know, like, look, if, if you're going to stick the joint up, like, I, I think Cork is probably going to slide into a spot over you. I don't, look, I think Shake, at his best, is a better player than Cork. My guess, yep. I, again, I'm not with these guys, but just like listening to Doc talk about Shake literally since he got here. I think he would rather have Shake in in the in the playoff rotation, but he uh, he does need to uh, to play better. I, I just think you know Cork is a guy who is a little too up and down for me. Uh, he uh, I'm not sure he can score quite as much against the when the defense is uh, is locked in. But like, look, if Shake is going to make wrong decision after wrong decision, Cork is a better shooter right now. So uh, plug him in. So we'll see. All right, so we got, obviously, the Milwaukee game on Saturday. Then three at home, Thunder, Hawks, and Hawks again. And then the schedule gets much easier real quickly. They have the easiest schedule in the league, even with this Bucks game, you know, record-wise. I think that's part of why it's like, well, get get Embiid rest now. Get Simmons, you know, he's dealing with the illness. Tobias has had two nights off. Get these guys 
so that for the final 10 to 12 games, they are good to go because you can make up, even if you fall a game back of the Nets, you can make up that ground because the schedule is so easy to close it out. And a lot of the concerns we're having right now and talking about right now when they're playing this really tough schedule shorthanded go away when you're playing against the Bulls and the Rockets and the Pelicans. Oh, they had a bad Pelicans game. Um, they they can make up some ground. You don't need to you don't need to retain first spot in the East. Now you can make that up in the back end of the schedule. And and that's why I was asked. You know, did they need to win one of these games against the Bucks? No, the Bucks need to win both of these games. Yeah. Now now if the Sixers win on Saturday, would that be great for them? Would that probably eliminate the Bucks? Put them three and a half back. Yeah, that's why it's a crucial game because the Bucks also have the tiebreaker over them. But they don't need it, man. Like their their yeah. schedule is cake on the way in. And assuming Ben Simmons can get back at some point here, I mean, it's not a it's not ideal to miss a week of uh, of basketball with an illness. But uh, assuming he can come back and and Bead can come back, like I, I do think their schedule, they're going to start blowing some teams out again. It's it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right, I think that is a good enough place to cut it off here. Thanks, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.